demonstration of God's power in Mount Carmel, of course, we read in Kings. But uh, he didn't quite get the response he had hoped for after what he had experienced. And he became disappointed with God, disillusioned. And we can go through those times as well. And we can find ourselves like Elijah running off into the desert, just kind of going our own way. But God will come to us in his faithfulness. He'll tap us on the shoulder. He'll speak to our heart. And he'll say, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Why are you here? And uh, he reminds us sometimes that we tend to kind of check out if we're not careful. We, we slip into a kind of a coasting mode in our walk with Christ. Uh, sometimes not too concerned with him. We still believe in him. We want to be a good Christian, that kind of thing. But we're not really engaged in our walk with Christ. We're not really engaged with the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And so sometimes, again, we can just kind of check out. But we also, we also learned last week that oftentimes the reason we're disappointed with God, if we are, is because we have certain expectations on God. Certain expectations of how a certain situation ought to work out or how our lives ought to work out or the way we want things to go. But if we're not careful, if, uh, if our faith is really about what we want and hoping God is there to make it happen, then our expectations soon become demands on God. What we mean by that is when things don't go our way, rather than trusting His way or allowing Him to do in us what He's doing because He has specific things He's working in us for a purpose, what He wants to bring in us, what He wants to flow through us, if we're not careful, those demands can actually begin to shut us down because we're disappointed with God and that uh, we don't you know, really plug into that relationship anymore. We just kind of go our own way. We live the Christian life, but we're not engaged in, in a way that really is enthusiastic, that is joy-filled, that's faith-filled, and that experiences the abundant life that Jesus talked about. Uh, this morning, I want to look at a passage in, in Mark 14. Uh, it's somewhat along the same lines, a little different, but we're looking at the example of Jesus. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's on his way to the cross, and many of us are familiar with this story. Jesus is about to be crucified shortly after the next day. And uh, here's what we read in Mark chapter 14, picking up at verse 32. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying. Speaking of him and the disciples, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I wonder if I get a bit more light, if that's possible, over the podium here. Don't have to wing it too much. I was driving down Mountain Road the other day, and I noticed a sign. You may have seen it down by the funeral home there. And it was an advertisement for Paris, for tourism, Paris tourism. And it said, uh, Paris, for the view. And it reminded me of what a resident of Paris once said many years ago. They said when asked, what's the best vantage point to see the beauty of Paris? They said, oh, no question, from the Eiffel Tower. But they weren't saying that because the Eiffel Tower was so high and that you could see the whole city. They were saying that because if you were in the Eiffel Tower, then you didn't have to look at the eyesore that was the Eiffel Tower, according to those who live in Paris. It's kind of a monument for those who are, who are Facebook friends with Deborah Pa. You would have seen all of her pictures in Paris. I think she's coming back soon. But uh, the Eiffel Tower is there, and it's an interesting tower. But when you look at the beauty of the city, the age, the architecture, it is a bit of a sore thumb, this big metal structure right in the middle of it. And I thought, you know, I wonder sometimes, if you were to ask the average Christian, in our Western culture at least, 
what is the best vantage point to really see the Christian life, to understand what, what walking with Christ is really about? I wonder if in the same type of way you wouldn't have Christians say, well, the best vantage point is from the cross because we really don't want to look at the cross. <laughs> so just kind of look from the cross and you won't see the cross. Uh, you won't see what the implications of what the cross means in our lives. You won't understand what the, how central the cross really is, not only to our salvation, but to our ongoing transformation as people who are to be like Christ and to live and minister like Christ. Uh, Paul said in uh, Galatians chapter 6, he said, May I never boast in anything except in the cross of Jesus Christ by which this world has been crucified to me and I to this world. The cross really is the primary instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to shape our character, that he uses to change our temperament, our personality, that he uses to mature us spiritually. Again, the cross of Jesus Christ is not just an emblem that reminds us what Jesus did for us. That is so true. But it also reminds us of the path that we are to walk in. That there are times in our lives that Jesus calls us to take some heavy things upon us or to endure some things that maybe we'd rather not endure, but understanding that just as he demonstrated through his cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that that cross that he's calling us to carry rather than to avoid is the instrument by which God is going to create glory in us. His presence, his weight. It's the means by which God is going to bring weight and substance into your life, into your marriage relationship, into your finances, into your ministry, whatever it may be where you feel there's a lack, where you feel there's a whole lot of you but not a lot of Jesus. That's the instrument he is going to use to begin to reverse that so you actually do decrease and Jesus increases. Now, the events we read about here in the Garden of Gethsemane, they involve a man. Let's not forget that. Jesus is God, but he's also 100% man. He's the sinless son of God. And what he's asking is that somehow he might be able to avoid, think about this, to avoid the very thing for the reason for which he's here. That there might be some other way. He cries out for another way other than the cross. Basically, what he's asking the Father for is a stay of execution. He knows he's going to die. Imagine this. We all know we're going to die, right? Do you know how you're going to die? No, imagine knowing how you're going to die. Imagine knowing the way you're going to die. Imagine knowing as you walk along those Roman roads in Jerusalem and you see people crucified, the horrendous death they're going through, not only physically, but as the Son of God, knowing you will also on top of that be taking the weight of the sin of the world upon yourself. Imagine knowing that. When it's going to happen. That is the weight that was on Jesus that night that he was praying in the garden. But he wasn't just trying to get out of his assignment. He's struggling with this unbearable pressure that any human being would rather avoid. He's not being weak. He's not being rebellious. What is happening here is the reason for which he came, right? For this reason, the Son of Man has come to destroy the works of the devil. For this reason, Jesus has come to lay his life down as a ransom for many. He knows why he has come. But knowing why you have come, knowing what God is calling you to, and actually walking through that can be two different things. Because in the garden, Jesus knows what he has to do. But in the garden, what we see is the purpose of his life literally being hammered out. Jesus knowing what he has to do. He's not just 
going through the script. He's not just going through the motions. Literally, his life is being hammered out. He's on the Mount of Olives. It's, it's a place of an olive press where the olives are placed in the press and literally squeezed until nothing remains, just the juice, the oil that flows from that. In fact, Isaiah would tell us, looking forward to Jesus' night in the garden of the crucifixion, that it actually pleased the Father, what? To crush his son. That's how much he loves us. He actually would crush his son in order that salvation might flow to you and me. So at that moment, Jesus' purpose is being fleshed out in this situation, a situation that's going to cost him his life. And he's asking the Father if it can possibly work out any other way. I think all of us here this morning, we've either gone through things or there are things that we're maybe going to be heading into, and we're tempted to say to God, or we just say to God outright, Lord, I don't want this to happen. Anybody ever say that? I don't want to go this way. I don't want these things to go to flow this way. And let's be honest, under that pressure, when we feel that press coming down on us, many of us are tempted to reject God's way, aren't we? Many of us are tempted to say, hey, not me. No, I'm, I, I love you, God, I, you know, whatever, but I just, I can't do this. I want us to understand Jesus did not do that. He never did that his entire life, and he never did it at the very moment that he knew it was going to literally cost his life. Jesus didn't go his own way. It's been said that character is the willingness to do the right thing when everything around you is going wrong. And every single one of us here this morning, we face times in our lives, oftentimes, that I would call pivotal times when we can literally go either way. We can either resolve at that moment that we are going to commit ourselves to what we know is the Lord's way, even though everything in us screams for our own way, or we can take the path of least resistance. We can take the way of escape. God's way of working in us, His nature, God's way of putting to death those things in us that rob us of the life that Jesus wants us to know, that robs us of joy, that robs us of fulfilling... How many understand this? If you want your marriage to work, you have to die. Anybody understand that? Am I the only one? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean it that way. It's killing me! That's not what I meant. But literally, that is true. If you want your marriage relationship to work, if you want any relationship to work that is meaningful to you, that you want it to be the fullest it can be, you have to learn to die. I don't mean just learn to lose the fight. You know, maybe you're bad at, at arguments or discussions. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those times when you know there is rising up within you a sinful nature that wants its own way. And in that, you have to bring it to Christ and say, Lord, here's all my arguments, all my justifications. Here's why I think I am right. But even though I might be right on paper or in my own thinking, I know in my heart I don't feel right. I know my spirit's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I know my attitude's wrong. I know I'm being less than Christ-like. You see, it's in practical areas like that, on a regular basis, the Lord is saying, if you will die, you will live. If you will let that die, if you will let that go to the cross, if you will let that part of you, that way of you, that attitude, that part of your personality, if you will put that to death, you will discover that life will come in that area of relationship, and your marriage relationship will grow from strength to strength. 
There will be healing. There will be refreshing. There will be love, joy, the things that you long for. But you see, you can't have God's way if you insist on your way. Does that make sense? Very simple, but let us sink in. If you keep insisting on your way in any area of life, you will never know God's way. And his way is life and joy and health and peace. Jesus said, I've come to give you life, what? In all its fullness. I've come to bring every area of your life, your hope, your ministry, your dreams, your relationships to full fruition. It may be a process of five years, 10 years, 50 years, that whole growing time. But he says, that's my goal for you. But you have a simple choice to make. Every time you come to that crossroad, every time you come to your own Gethsemane in that area of your life, are you willing to die or will you insist on your own way or a way of escape? God's ways always involve a certain degree of dying, a surrendering of things. And unless I believe we really get hold of the Lord's example here as he approached the cross, then self-preservation and self-gratification will always lead you far away from what the Lord intends. You will have a form of godliness, as Paul said, but you will never experience the power of the presence of God in your life that he wants you to enjoy. Now, when it comes to the issue of character, it's important to understand that God is not just building character in us for character's sake. Just as God did in the life of Jesus, his ultimate objective in you and me is to do something redemptive in us so that redemption flows through us. How many understand that he didn't just save us to get us to heaven because he loves us more than other people that aren't, that aren't saved? We know that, right? Have you ever heard Bill Cosby many, many years ago, his little skit on Noah's Ark? I don't know if you're old enough to remember that one, but he's, he's building Noah's Ark. It's in the driveway. And the neighbor says, what are you doing? He says, I can't tell you. Give me a hint. Well, how long can you tread water? You know, it's kind of the idea that, you know, us four no more. Well, we know that we're not saved just for ourselves. We know we're not just... We're not just God's favorite. For whosoever will may come. The gospel is for everyone who opens their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. What God wants to do in all of our lives, he wants to work something redemptive in us so that we actually touch lives. That we actually allow the Lord to use us to bring hope to others, right? To see restoration, to see healing, to see salvation. How many of us understand that we live and move and work in environments where people's lives are broken? People are looking for answers. People are looking for hope. You'd be absolutely amazed how many hearts are wide open that we pass by every day because we're just busy. We're just Monday to Friday. We're just doing our thing. We've got our own concerns. We've got our own worries, our own distractions. We don't realize that as we give ourselves to all those things that everybody else does, just, you know, nose to the grind, making the money, whatever the case may be, we, we don't realize how much we rob ourselves of a true joy that we could experience on a daily basis of just having the Holy Spirit flow through us and to love and to touch people. It's so much more satisfying than just having a Christian life where everything seems to work out. And that's really one of the reasons, as James says, that God does not give us everything we ask for because he knows we just consume it upon ourselves. But you begin to ask in prayer for the kingdom and everything you ask for, the Lord will give you. Everything for the kingdom. Everything is about touching lives. Everything is about being available to saying, Father, I just want to demonstrate your love this week, somehow this week, your love to somebody. I, I, I've been kind of feeling, you know, the last couple, couple weeks. That's why I preached on when you're feeling numb. 
Last week when God disappoints, you know, you can tell your pastor's in a cheerful mood when you preach on those topics. Uh, but people have been, just, have been encouraged, so I'm so glad to know that you're depressed as I am. We're on the same journey. But, uh, but I mentioned last week, you know, I said, hey, you know, if you're kind of feeling that way, kind of feeling blah, you need to kick in the pants, just go out and love somebody. Just go out and pray for somebody. I was walking through um, Superstore uh, just a couple days ago and just saw this dear lady, an elderly lady. She had the headscarf on. She had face mask. She had the s- sleeves of her sweater rolled over her hand, uh, didn't want to get any germs. And, uh, and she had obviously gone through chemo or radiation, whatever the case may be. And so I just stopped and uh, just said hi, and I just asked you know, how she was feeling. She, went, she said what was going on. She didn't have any, any pain, but very tired and, of course, going through the chemo. And I said, I said would you mind if I, if I pray for you? Would you mind that? And so we just pulled down a little aisle where, where not a whole lot of traffic. Her husband was standing there, and we just, we just prayed together. And you know what? I wasn't feeling a thing. I wasn't feeling a thing when I walked down the aisle, but my heart would just kind of reached out to this person. I just saw this person. I said, why not? Okay, Lord, so we're going to pray. So we prayed together, and the moment we began to pray, the Holy Spirit just came. In aisle three at the superstore. And after we prayed, I looked up, and the husband's eyes were just watering, just weeping. She's weeping. And have a chance to talk with the Lord. And, and just some of the stuff we're talking about this morning, the process, and, and God being with us, and so on. What a, what a wonderful opportunity it is. But do you think that I went away from there saying, oh, man, I just lost 10 minutes? You know, I could have been eaten or I could have been whatever. No, you come away. Thank you, Jesus. That's what life's about. And that's what the Lord wants to work in all of us. We've been talking about maximizing the summer as well. We've talked about that a lot. Maximizing the summer months, not allowing ourselves just to drift. Allowing the time that we gather through being on vacation or, you know, having some nights, whatever the case may be, using those times as best we can to just draw closer to the Lord. That when, the, when the business starts again in the fall, we're ready to go. We've allowed the Lord to shape some things in us, grow us, whatever it may be. But again, because we understand that God's desire for all of us is that we be redemptive. We be redemptive people in, in what he wants to do in us and how he wants to use us. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. He said, we can comfort those in any trouble. Isn't that interesting? Not just those in trouble. We can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What's he saying? He's saying, because I walk with Christ and I carry my cross, and I allow Jesus in every situation to use the cross to shape me more and more to become like him, I can relate to almost any trouble. Now, that might sound like a a depressing life, but he says, no, it's not. Because no matter where I go, I find somebody that I can relate to who needs to learn from what I've learned from the Lord. They need to be comforted with the comfort I've received. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, right? You don't need a comforter unless you're uncomfortable. You ever think about that? If your life was always easy, you don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need comfort. But when you decide to walk with Christ, when you decide to carry the cross, you discover that the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your companion. He is your friend. The bottom line is this. It's going to cost you something to be a ministering person. It's going to cost you something, if I could be so blunt, to be a real Christian. Is that okay? No, it's going to cost you something. If there's never inconvenience, never stretching, never growing, you're not on the stretch, then I've got to ask, do you have a living faith? Do you know the living Lord Jesus Christ? I'm just putting that out there. We can all have seasons of dryness. We've talked about that. But if that's basically my pattern, then I've got to ask myself because it will cost you to be a ministering person. But when it's over, the beautiful thing is anything that you thought you lost 
it gets restored to you. And Jesus says, even more than, than you can imagine, will be restored back to you. How many of you are beginning to realize that? Anybody? You begin to realize that, like when I really get intentional with my walk with Christ, and I begin to step out, and I begin to say, Lord, I want more of you, I want all that you have for me, and I'm willing to be stretched. Whatever it is the Lord is calling you to give up, whatever you're dying to, whatever you're cutting away, whatever's being pruned in your life, you're realizing more and more, you know what, man, it is worth it. It's just worth it to start coming alive and to actually begin to experience a living faith. As Jesus' time on the cross draws near, we see that he can't help but think about this enormous cost that it's going to be to himself to go to the cross. And yet, he's not asking for a way out on his own terms. Notice Jesus didn't say, because I think this would be a lot of our prayer, Abba Father, if you really loved me, <laughs> this wouldn't be happening. Notice he doesn't do that. He doesn't pray on his own terms. He prays scripturally. He says in verse 36, Abba Father, all things are possible for you. Now, in this struggle, Jesus' sinlessness is not being compromised. There's nothing wrong with struggling with asking questions. But his humanness is screaming out to God for another way. And what that shows me is how totally acceptable it is for me as I struggle to bring every single fear question, frustration to the Lord. To not feel like I have to hand it on my own. Even if I'm looking for another way, I still come to the Father and say, Father, here's what I'm wrestling with, and I wish there were another way, but I bring it to you. Jesus brought every bit of pain to his Father. I wonder how many times we choose instead to manage our own problems on our own. To manage our own problems in ways that aren't in keeping with God's ways. And there's a reason for that, I believe. It's because we don't say, Father, all things are possible for you. Instead, we say, Father, this is impossible for me. Let me say that again. We don't come before the Father and say, Father, here's where I am. Here's where my marriage is. Here's where my kids are. Here's where my finances are. Here's where my health is. Whatever it may be, we don't bring it to the Father and say, Father, here's my pain. Here's my frustration. Here's my struggle. Here's every part of me that wants to go a different way, that wants to have my own way, insist on my own way, go the easy way. We don't bring that to him and say, Father, but everything, despite what I'm feeling going through, everything, despite my justifications, everything is possible for you. Right? But instead we say, oh God, you don't understand. Nobody understands. This is impossible for me. And then we find justification for choosing our own way rather than saying, Father, help me pick up my cross. Help me carry this cross and help me walk through this with you. You see, that willingness is really born out of an intimacy of relationship. And that's the key. We're going to speak in the, in the fall. We're going to take almost the whole fall to talk in various aspects of hearing God of cultivating an intentional walk with God, of actually hearing the voice of God, being led by God, being led by the Holy Spirit, and just seeing the things that God wants to unpack in our lives and our congregation in a new way. But we see in Jesus' opening words, his prayer is Abba, Father. Abba, Father. What does that reveal? It reveals this trust 
with God. It reveals this readiness to submit to God's process, even though it's going to cost him everything. Friends, that's why relationship is so vital. That's why it's so important. I'm going to speak on probably in the fall as well. It's so important as we see modeled in the life of Jesus because we see some incredible things that Jesus not only ministered, but that he went through. You know, we just read the one line, but we don't get the full weight of what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, for example, on one account, he said, animals have a place to sleep. I don't have a place to lay my head at night. Well, that's a nice little verse we put on a picture. You know, that's, that's kind of a nice little, but we don't think about that. That Jesus lived in this world forsaken. He lived in this world poor, in poverty, completely dependent upon the Father, without the comforts that many of us are used to, so that we could all understand no matter where we are in life, He can identify with us. He can relate to us. We have a God who relates to us wherever we may be. And He submitted to that process the Father had, even though it was going to cost Him everything. Intimacy of relationship. You know, if, if you approached me this morning and, and, and you just called me Pastor Paul, you know, it's very likely that you know something about my ministry. Maybe you've come here a few times. You heard me preach. You, you kind of know what it's about. But you using my title doesn't mean you know me personally, does it? Right? You may call me Paul. Uh, that might mean that, you know, you know me a little better as a friend. Maybe we spend some time together. You feel more comfortable, a little, a little closer. But there are only two people in this world who, two particular people, who have a unique relationship with me that they can call me dad. They can call me father. These were two who, when they were little kids, would crawl up my lap and they'd, you know, take their hands and rub my face and feel the whiskers. They don't do that now, but they used to. But these little boys have grown up into young men that I still give big hugs to. I still tell them I love them. I still, they, they know that I would do anything for them. They know they can talk to me. They know that I love them unconditionally. Because they know me. They know me as dad. They know me as father. Friends, I want you to catch this this morning. That's why it is so important. I was going to say earlier why it is so important that despite what we are feeling, despite what the business of life, that we maintain the basic disciplines of our walk with God. We've been saying these last couple of weeks, stay in the word of God. Whatever you may be feeling, continue to pray. Whatever you're feeling, continue to open the word of God and let it speak to you. If you don't feel like you're hearing anything, let it get into you. Let it get into your soul. It won't, it's, it's alive. It will, it will begin to work. Whatever you may be feeling, make sure that you still have time to worship God. It's not just about feeling. It's declaring who he is, the truth of his word, making those declarations, the truth of who you are as a daughter or a son of God. Continue to do those things because what you discover in Jesus' life Though we see his ministry, we see the fruit of his ministry, but we forget sometimes that three or four times through the scripture we read, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue. You couldn't go to a more liturgically dead place, and yet the word of God was read there. It was the house of God. Jesus went, as was his custom. As was his custom early in the morning, Jesus got up and prayed, spent time with the Father. As was his custom late at night, after a day of ministry, Jesus went off to a quiet place and prayed. As was his custom. You see that built into his life. And the same thing is true for you and me. That's what cultivates that intimate relationship. 
It's that being your custom to spend time with the Father. Spend time with the Lord. Spend time in His Word. If, you, if that will be your custom, He will build things into your life that form a strength of character. So when it comes time for the struggle, when it comes time and you're facing that crossroad where you're saying, Lord, okay, this is not going right in my life, but I, I, know, I know what I need to do. I know what you're telling me to do, what needs to die, where you're able to say, Lord, because I know you, because I've invested in you, because I trust you, because you are daddy. You're my father. I can hold on to you. But you see, if you don't invest in that, if, if you only have a form of godliness, whenever you come to those crossroads, those tough times, I promise you, you will always choose your own way. Because you don't know the father. You don't trust him. You're still holding on to your flesh. You're still saying, I want my way. And I promise you, when you insist on your own way and you walk in your own way, Proverbs says, there are many ways that seem right to the natural man and they always end in death. They will end in the death of your marriage, your relationship. They'll end in the death of your finance. You, you name it, it'll be a slow eroding decaying, a dying, because life is in the Word of God. Abba Father, Daddy. Let me ask you this morning, how do you address God? it may reveal whether or not you really do know him. Jesus prayed intensely for another way. There was desperation in his plea. Verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And yet not what I will, but what you will. And his submission was not to a power that he couldn't resist. His submission was to a love that he knew would never let him go. Jesus knew the heart of God. And he models for you and me the need for us to know him as well. Friends, we need to know when we come to that place where we know the Lord is calling us to die, to trust him, to go his way, even though it means a death in us in that particular area, we need to understand that God loves us so much. When we're saying, I, I want another way, the Father is saying, if there were another way, I would gladly give it to you. But there isn't. Do you trust me to walk in this way? Even though everything in you is screaming for another way. Can you still call God Father when there's no way out than simply going through? The answer, your character will tell you the answer. And the answer will be no unless you allow yourself to be shaped by what the cross really means. Not what I want, Jesus said, but what you want. Friends, those aren't words of resignation. Those are words of rest. A restful commitment. And you can struggle in the presence of the Lord with whatever it is He's wanting to bring alive to you through that death process. It doesn't mean you can't fight it out, that you can't cry it out, that you can't plead your, you know, make your case. But when all is said and done, like Jesus, Father, I rest in you. I rest in the way that you're showing me, and I trust you. There are times in all of our lives when we are arguing for another choice, and yet deep down in our heart, we know it's not the best way, but it's the way the Holy Spirit is showing us. And I believe this morning that choosing the way of the cross, as we're going to be reminded of in the emblems here in just a moment, but choosing the way of the cross is to choose to pay the price rather than to spare yourself the cost of the struggle. 
And if there's ever going to be any shape in our lives, we have to learn the cost of the struggle. The same Jesus who has come to forgive us and has come to save us has also come to live within us. And you know one of the reasons why he's come to live within us? So that he can give us the strength of character we need to not just look for a way out, but to look for a way through. God's ultimate purpose is not to get us to heaven. God's ultimate purpose is to get heaven into us. And when he gets heaven into us, then he also gets into us the power of redemption that he wants to unleash through us. We see in the scripture it was because Jesus chose the Father's way that the saving power of God literally burst upon the earth. Do you realize that? It's because Jesus let the Father have his way. And the same thing is true of you and me. Three days after Jesus is crucified, God's gift of life, the Bible says, crushes the power of hell and opens the gates of glory for all mankind. The gates of glory, by the way, they're not just heaven. The gates of glory is not just some future thing. When God opens the gates of glory for his people, he is literally opening his tangible presence in our midst and flowing through us wherever it is that we may be. He's transforming us and restoring us back to what it was in the Garden of Eden. Do you realize the Garden of Eden literally means the Lord's pleasure, the Lord's delight? Just think about that for a moment. When God made the garden, and he made Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden, he was literally placing them in the center of his pleasure, of his delight. Isn't that amazing? He was placing them in the middle of his joy. That's what the garden was. It wasn't just a paradise in itself. It was the presence of the God where, where God walked. The, the, the garden of Eden was his pleasure, his joy. And he says, look, I'm taking you and I'm putting you right in the middle of my joy. And then he says this, I want you to tend this garden. It's like he's saying, I want you to tend my joy. I want you to tend my pleasure, my delight. Anything that would distract you from that, you need to be aware of that. Those weeds, those distractions, you know, just, just arm yourself from those things. Maintain this garden. And in the same way, a couple thousand years later, what happens? Jesus comes along. He's baptized in the River Jordan. And when he comes up into the water, what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What is the Father saying of Jesus? He's my pleasure. I'm pleased in him. My pleasure, my delight, it abides in him. He is in my pleasure. And friends, there are some things that Jesus calls each of us to walk through that your flesh is always going to oppose. Your feelings are always going to oppose. And a lot of times, and I want you to think of this while we're closing up here, think about this for a moment. What are some things that you struggle with? What are some areas of pain, some areas of relational breakdown, some areas of distrust, some areas where you know the Holy Spirit spoke to you more than often, you know exactly what you need to be, what you need to do, what needs to line up. What are some of those areas? Think about it just for a moment. Because that is where your flesh is struggling. That's where you're opposing what God is saying. Or it may even be lesser things that you're tempted not to even bother with. You say, well, they're, they're not a big deal. But you see, when you and I discover this new life in Jesus, the Bible says that we were taken out of darkness and brought into what? Light. 
We were taken out of death. We were brought into life. And we knew it, didn't we? We knew there was a change, right? Do you agree with me? Hopefully there was. Okay, you began to live differently. You know, you began to live out of who you are now in Christ and, and begin to live out a divine possibility. You begin to live out of the truth of what you know and the Holy Spirit who lives in you and empowers you to live a different way. Okay, we knew our lives were changed. Paul says he brought us safe into the kingdom of his beloved son. What's he saying? He's saying that when you were born again, when you are now in Christ, God has placed you in Christ. He has placed you in the center of his pleasure. That's where you now live. You live in his delight. You live in his joy. You live in his pleasure. We now live in that realm. What that means is, is you have a father, a heavenly father who loves you. A heavenly father who watches over you. And you can be confident when you're going through tough times. You can be confident even when everything within you is arguing for a different way. You can be confident in those little areas that you know he's speaking to you about, that you still don't want to go his way. You still want to hold on to. You still want your rights. You still don't trust him enough. If I let this go, then what's going to happen? I'll have less than. In that area that you need to trust, you will never have less than. Whatever you give, Jesus says, whatever you give will be restored to you a hundred times, both in this life and the life to come. That comes out of intimacy, of understanding the Father's heart. Father, whatever you're calling me to, wherever you're growing, whatever you're calling me to die to, I thank you, Father, that is for a specific reason. And the specific purpose is this, to shape something in you that is going to unleash something redemptive through you. That's God's purpose. It's no small thing just to ignore what God is speaking to you what he wants to shape in you this summer. It's no small thing to give to the Lord, to, to, to determine, I'm going to struggle with this if I need to, because you know what? For once and for all, I'm going to nail this down. For once and for all, I know what i got to do. Once and for all, Lord, okay, with your help, I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to go through the struggle of this because I know you want to shape something in me today that's going to release something in me tomorrow that you're going to use to touch lives. That's God's purpose for us that we would reconcile men and women to God. That's God's purpose for us. That wherever we go, that we are ready and available, despite what we might feel, despite what aisle we're in at the, at the store, that wherever we go, God is saying, I've got something redemptive for you today. I'm going to invite the musicians and, and Jason, if you want to join us as well, if you're prepared to serve the Lord's table and, and the ushers, the elders, if you'll come, prepare yourself to distribute the emblems this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to serve you the emblems because I want you to take some time to, uh, to listen uh, to Jason's testimony. We're talking this week. But I want to encourage this morning as we come to the Lord's table, prepare our hearts. I want to encourage again in the spirit of what we talked about this summer of maximizing these, these summer months for what the Lord wants to do in us. I want to invite you this morning to open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, what is the one thing? What are the two things? What is it? You may already know. And you just need to surrender that again to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow in you in a tangible way. I want my faith to be real. I want you to touch lives through me. And for that to happen, I've got to break out of just religiousness. I've got to break out of this lifestyle and actually begin to experience your life, your presence flowing through me. And so, Lord, whatever needs to decrease, whatever it is that you want to grow in me, then you do that. I want to encourage you.
Lord bless you folks. Feel free to, to serve. I guess they're, they're on their way. If you're visiting with us this morning, we invite you just to take a cup and a piece of bread and hold it for a moment. And we'll, we'll join together in the Lord's table in just a moment. But uh, we're all on that journey. We're all on that journey. But you know, to really have that journey to walk with the Spirit is to take one step in front of the other, right? If you're going to go on a journey, what do you do? You map out where you're going. You point yourself in that direction. One step after another, there's where you go. And our walk with Christ is that simple as well. The Lord says, here's the journey I have for you. Here's what I want to grow in you right now, one step at a time, day by day, decision by decision. And when there comes the struggle, instead of saying, Lord, I don't want to do this, be able to say like Jesus, Father, I love you, I trust you. What you want, not what I want. And you begin to experience from strength to strength, from glory to glory, that you begin to experience a living faith as the Lord has his way in you and in your relationships. Amen. Jason, bless you, my friend. Come on up. Jason's going to share just a little testimony this morning for your encouragement as we, uh, as the team ministers softly and we prepare to take the emblems. Good morning. So, um, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Jason, like he said, and um, I've been on a journey for the last four years. And for those of you that may not know, I've just recently accepted a position at uh, Kingswood University in Sussex. So uh, for the last two months, I've been traveling morning and night. And uh, in that process, we've put our house for sale. We're looking to relocate the family to, to Sussex. And um, so through that process, we were, um, like I said, I got 45 minutes to drive there in the morning, 45 minutes on the way back. So I said, perfect opportunity. I spent 45 minutes on the way up, 6 o'clock in the morning, just talking to God, trying to get closer to Him, understand who, what He wants for me and my purpose for my life. And on the way back, I put the audio Bible on and I listened for 45 minutes. So for those of you that listen to the audio Bible, you can listen to the New Testament in two months for 45 minutes a day. So anyways, in that process, God's been stretching me and He's been... Uh, things have just been not going right. <laughs> you know, God created this position. He pretty much dropped it on my lap. It felt really like that I needed to be at Kingswood University as their director of marketing. But we put an offer on a house that had been on the market for four years, and it sold underneath of us. Like, it's like, seriously, Lord, okay. And there was another house. We, we really fell in love with this house. This thing was like a mansion compared to what we're used to now. And we just heard through the grapevine that we were going to be able to get this deal, right? So, again, that thing fell through. And just at this point, I'm, my focus is more on what's important to me. One day I'm driving. And I say, God, you know what? When Jason Chin was here, he's, he was talking about treasure hunts. I said, Lord, I need a treasure hunt. So he, he put on my heart. A person's name was Alice. Again, for whatever reason, I said, all right, Lord, what about Alice? And I felt something about a right hip. I said, okay, and how am I going to know who this Alice is? Where am I going to find her? And I felt like she had a, a blue shirt. Like, it was just, it's not like he was audibly talking to me. It was just the first things that came to my mind. So I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to have faith and assume you're speaking to me. And I ended up, about uh, two weeks later, going to Shoppers Drug Mart, 
and we're in, my wife and I are in line waiting to pay, and big line up, and there's a guy in front of me just says, hey, Alex, how you doing? And I just caught my attention, and I looked over, and the cashier had a blue shirt, and her name was Alice. I'm like, oh, there she is. Maybe that's her. Let's see if she's... Yeah, I, I said, maybe I'll talk to her, but the, the, the lineup was so big, I said, I'll come back. So anyways, uh, I, uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to her that day. The next week, I went over, and sure enough, her name was Alice. She was wearing a blue shirt, and she had an issue with her hip. So I said, and I kind of told her this, and she kind of looked at me like I was come, coming out of the twilight zone. So anyways, uh, I said, do you mind if I just pray for you? So I prayed for her, and she said she could feel something tingling in her leg, but you could just see the skepticism all over her face. And, and the next day, actually, my brother-in-law was with me. So the next day, my brother-in-law calls me in his office. He said, I just had a phone call from Alice. And she was trying to, she was wondering whether or not uh, I was real or there was some nut job that just happened to show up. And I'd seen, seen whether or not uh, she was limping. And so that kind of discouraged me. I said, Lord, I stepped out here and I made myself look like a fool. And so even before that, um, I'd stop most mornings. I stop and at the Irving gas station. I get my, my daily chocolate milk and sometimes a Rice Krispie Square. You don't look this good by eating vegetables. So anyways, um, but the lady, the lady at the cash, just, just something about her. And I felt even before I even found the Alice, I felt like God pointing at me, telling me to, to talk to her, that, that she was my Alice. And, but I was like, oh, I just can't, I can't. And anyways, last Sunday when Pastor Paul preached, I was in this, well, before he preached, he, I'm the one that does the graphics for the screen. So he, he calls me up. He says, I need a slide. He said, I'm preaching on when God disappoints. I'm like, yeah, I'll get that slide nailed pretty good because that's how I feel right now. So, but when he preached, and he, he mentioned the, the, the fact that, you know what, and I've said this to many people before, is that when, you're, you're, when you're, you're in that slump, just go out and pray for somebody. And when he mentioned that, I was at the sound booth. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. So the following Monday, or this past Monday, I went to get my daily treat in the morning, and, and there's this lady, which I don't know her name, but she's really friendly. Like, we, we sparked conversations. So she knew a bit about that I came in from Moncton and that, um, that we were looking to buy a house. So she just sparks the conversation. So, oh, have you found a house yet? You know, I said, no, we're still looking, but God's good. He'll provide. And she says, yes, he will, you know. And I asked her, I said, do you mind me asking what's your first name? I said, we, we commute, uh, we, we chat, and I'd just like to at least know who I'm talking to, at least refer you by name. And she said, my name's Allison. And I'm like, oh. I said, do people ever refer to you as Alice? She says, no, not really. You know, she said, I've Al or whatever, but she says, why? And I, I told her. I said, because I have a relationship with God, and we were, uh, were having a conversation one morning, and he puts me on these treasure hunts, and I told her about Alice, about a blue shirt, and it just happens that day she was wearing that blue shirt that I was talking about, and, and I said, and then I felt God say something about her right hip, and she said, are you sure maybe it wasn't like the right big toe? And I'm like, I'm like, well, I was, why is there something wrong with your big toe? She goes, yes, for the last month. It's just been killing me and just aching. And I'm an avid, avid uh, hiker, and, and I'm going on this five-day trek, and I'm afraid I won't be able to go because for, like, for one month, it's just been killing me. And I said, well, let me pray for your toe. So I just grabbed her hand, and, and right there in the convenience store, and just happened to be nobody around, and I, just, and I was looking at her, and she was had her eyes closed, and I said, Lord, just be with Allison and, and just heal her big toe. And God just 
let her feel your Holy Spirit right now. And I could just see her face going, and I said, in Jesus' name. She, and she just, her eyes were watering. And she says, well, thank you for that. I said, no, no, well, how's your big toe? And she just, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It, it doesn't hurt anymore. I said, what? I said, it doesn't hurt anymore. And she was all excited. And then, of course, cars are starting to pop in, and she was getting busy. I said, well, praise God. And she goes, well, thank you so much. And so anyways, I, I, I left, and I was encouraged. But even the next day was like, I was like, okay, well, the last Alice called in the next day, and she thought it was a hoax because her pain had come back. Or I said, I'm going to go back in and check on Allison. So I went in the next day, and she's like, uh, on Tuesday, she goes, wow. She says, I haven't, been stop- I, haven't had- I haven't stopped thinking about yesterday. Like, I just can't stop thinking. Something happened. Something just happened yesterday. And she said, I don't know what it is. But I need to know more. So I start sharing God. I start, start witnessing to her. And, of course, like she says, it, it's never busy there in the morning. And all of a sudden, cars are just coming. Cars are coming. And she's like, oh, somebody does not want me to hear what you have to tell me. I said, you got that right. And anyway, she just says, do you mind if I come see you at your, at your office today? I said, even better, what time are you done? She says, 9 o'clock. So I said, I'm just over there. And so sure enough, at around 10 o'clock, she shows up in my office, and, and we went to a, an open office, and I, w- I was able to share the gospel from 10 o'clock till 1 o'clock. And I just poured into this woman. She didn't have a, a chance. She didn't have a chance because I was just, and she was just, oh, she goes, the best compliment anybody has ever, ever given me, it was the one she gave me. She said, I want what you have. <laughs> wow. I said, I've got Jesus. I got a relationship. She says, I want to have those treasure hunts like you have those treasure hunts. And it was an incredible. I, I prayed with her, and she she surrendered and gave her life to God that day on Tuesday. And and all the staff, all the staff there were just like, wow, that was so cool. Because the door was open, they could hear me pouring to this woman, and it was just incredible. And the next day, like, so she left and gave everybody a big hug and. And the next day, I went back to the, to the Irving. She goes, oh, last night, she said, I went for a hike. And as I was, I was hiking, I was having a conversation with God. And, and she said, you know what, God? She says, I'm going to serve you with all my heart, even if the pain in my big toe comes back. I want you. And all of a sudden, she says, the pain in both my feet was so excruciating that I, I almost hobbled all the way back down the mountain. She said, but when I got to the bottom of the mountain, she said, the pain was gone. So that's when you step out. I, trust me, I'm, I'm not qualified. He qualifies me. And none of us are. But uh, you know what? What Pastor Paul said is when you step out and you feel that, you feel the Holy Spirit just hit you, then for, for that moment of time, you know, you know that you're standing exactly in God's will and its purpose, exactly for where you, what, you, what you were created for. And it was just an incredible experience. And and it really ignited something. But when things go, aren't going the way you want, like for us, we, we finally sold our house. I have to be out of it in, in two weeks or a week and a half. I don't know, but it's quick. And we still have a house that's kind of pending. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know whether this house is going to fall through, but I don't care because Dan Moeller said it best. Don't let what matters more. I said, don't let... Don't let what matter more. Say again? For what doesn't matter most, and he matters most. And there's people out there that are just hungry, 
and they're starving. And she said, the, the thing that troubled me the most is, I'm witnessing, she says, nobody ever told me this. Like, no, never, no, nobody's ever taken the time to tell me this. And she, this was an older lady. She must be in her 50s. And how can we, how, well. Older than my daughter, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 50, so I, think, I, don't, I guess I'm old, I guess. I'm old. Yeah, take the mic. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> God bless you. Amen. I trust you've all been served. Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Vanessa saved a little segment of a program she was watching. I'll just say this in 30 seconds, but it was Dr. Oz. He had a panel of three people that were talking about the afterlife. Jewish rabbi, a psychic, evangelical pastor. As I listened, the psychic was the best spoken. Not only the best spoken, but when a person from the audience stood up to ask a question, they all commented, she actually spoke into that person's life. Now, we know the psyche is led by the demonic. We understand that. But as I sat there, I said, oh, God, help the church. If we don't rise up and realize we have a power to counter that, we have gifts of the Holy Spirit to walk in. We can be led by the Spirit to pour into people's lives. Because I saw that woman begin to weep as the psychic was talking to her about her dead loved ones. Whether it was true or not, I don't know, because like I say, we know it's demonically inspired. But the person probably well-intentioned, though deceived. God has given us the same gifts. He wants to walk in his anointing. He wants us to minister like Jesus ministered. He wants us to see people around us who are lost. But you know what? If we're so distracted by our stuff, if our Christian lifestyle is just about a form of godliness and we keep avoiding the cross every time Jesus says, you've got to die to this, you've got to die to this, you've got to die to this, to be more like me, you've got to die to this. And we won't do it, we'll stay stuck. We'll never have an answer to the world. But we begin to die, as that hymn says, that we die, that's when we truly live. And we come alive. And our homes come alive. And our children and our marriages and every area of our life begins to come alive with the promise of Christ as the things of the flesh begin to die away. And we don't reject the cross. We say, Lord, I'll embrace the cross. Because you know what? If I don't die to this, it's going to kill me anyway. So I'm going to die to it that I might find life in life, relationships, ministry, whatever it may be. Because you know what? There is a world that is not just dying without Christ. It is hungry. It is starving. It is looking for something real, something supernatural. And the devil's there to give it. And the sad thing is the church has the answer. And it's not religion. It's not a lifestyle. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul said, because it is the power of God unto salvation. The kingdom is not just in word. It's in power. But that power is not unleashed in us just through seminars. It's unleashed through us day by day. We pick up our cross where Jesus says, do you want to follow me? Do you want my life to flow through you? I want this to die. This has to die. This has to grow. Come on, let's grow together. I want to encourage you to hold these emblems, the reminders of what Jesus died to for us in order that we might come alive, that there is joy in the journey if we really understand the Father's heart. Get back into the Word. Get back into quiet time with the Lord. Allow Him to introduce Himself to you afresh as your Father, your Heavenly Father who loves you, that you can trust. 
He's not just some God bringing you through a hard time. He's your Father who knows what's best for you. Jesus met with the disciples. He took the bread. He said, this bread is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Whatever you allow to be broken, God will resurrect. He'll resurrect whole. He'll resurrect with power. Let's partake together and invite the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. And he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood that's shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Lord cleanses us and he breaks strongholds in our lives. Why? That he might fill the emptiness with his Holy Spirit. That we might truly be alive to Christ and his life living through us. Let's partake and receive the Lord's forgiveness this morning. Let strongholds be broken because of what he's done. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray as we prepare to leave this morning, may your word take root in our hearts. Let us not forget what you've spoken to us. Let us not be easily distracted when we leave this place. Lord, speak to us. Help us this week to lay hold of those things that, Lord, you want to grow us through, that we might have more of you, might be more like you, and might truly be your church, your light throughout this city, wherever we go, touching Alice's all over our city, Lord, who are waiting for somebody who knows you to talk to them, to love them, to minister to them. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. The Lord bless you. Let's stand together. You are dismissed. If you're here this morning and you'd like to receive prayer, or maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've sensed his presence, you want to know more about him, we stand here. We'd love to meet you. Feel free to come as we dismiss. And as we dismiss, we give someone a hug or a handshake, a smile, if you don't know them, introduce yourself if they're new. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. It's good to see you this morning.